Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is what? Strong. Amen. Praise God. Well, I am absolutely 100% excited about the message this morning. I do want to thank you for being here. For those joining us online, I want to encourage you right now. And for those who are here to definitely share this message. This message is going to bring hope to somebody. It's going to help somebody. And I believe because we all need strength. And so I'm really, really excited about what God has given me to present. Let's turn to our teaching text for this morning. And it's going to be a mini-series. I was trying to do all of this in one service. And the Lord reminded me again to, to break it down because I really want you to get it. So go to Genesis chapter number 4. Genesis chapter number 4. It's in the beginning of your Bible. Um, in my Bible, it's on page number 3. Uh, but your Bible might be different. The book of Genesis chapter number 4. If you don't know this story, it is a story of where we see Cain and Abel. And um, there's a lot of nuggets in this particular text. But I believe that God has something specific for us in this story that's been recorded in the book of Genesis. We're going to look at verses 6 to 10. As our teaching text, the title for this message, if you're taking notes, is Give Me the Strength to Let God. Say that with me. Give me the strength to let God. One more time. Give me the strength to let God. Genesis chapter 4, verses 6 to 10. I'm reading from the English Standard Version of the Bible. In verse number six, we see the Lord begins to speak. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? King James says your countenance. If you do well, verse seven, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. The first time the word sin is mentioned in the Bible. So it's not a New Testament thing. It's all the way back in Genesis. And so it's important that we deal with sin. Why? Because it is at the door. So if you're part of a church that don't preach about sin anymore, they don't care about who comes into your house. And so the writer is telling us that sin is at the door. And it, and it describes, it says, it desire, its desire is contrary to you. But you must rule over it. Rule over what? Sin. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He says, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Verse 10 and last verse. And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. 
If there's ever a text that we must sink our teeth into to bring hope, healing, and help to our current culture, it is this verse right here. In it, we have the first word, sin, is mentioned, and we see the first murder that took place. You better believe that we need to look at this message and say, God, give me the strength to let you be God. Mm. Father, we ask your presence to be with us, and we ask that you would guide me as we speak this word. Let it bring clarity, conviction, and let it bring comfort, Lord God. As you've given to me, I pray that you will use me to minister this word and that it brings transformation to our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. One more time. Give me the strength to let God. Give me the strength to let God. If you're familiar with Genesis, if you're familiar with me, I often say that if you can only get three chapters of the Bible, what should you ask for? Genesis chapter 1. Because in it, we see God's perfect design. We see God perfect will for our lives, for a nation, for a people. Every single one of us on the sound of my voice, regardless of your education, your skin color, your economic situation, whether you're wealthy, whether you're poor, whether you're homeless, whether you are single, whether you're married, every individual finds themselves in Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3. If you ever want to encourage somebody If you ever want them to know what is God thinking, what is God's thoughts, what is God doing, take them to Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. And so what we find here is that now we are seeing in Genesis chapter 4 how life is like after the original fall of man. I want you to write this down. The original sin is not fear. The original sin, write this down, is unbelief. Unbelief of what God has written, what God has declared, is the number one culprit. It is the number one reason why we are not walking in the things that God has for us. It is unbelief. But here we are seeing a a shift. We are now seeing humanity in a fallen state trying to live out the purpose of God for their lives. Here we are seeing uh, in this particular scriptures that I read to you that there are three points, and we're just going to focus on one this morning, but the three points that I believe are in this text is first and foremost, the first point is this, it's let go, let God. It is in a form of a question. What do you mean? You want me to let go? And let God? It's a question. The second point of this text, of the scripture that I read, is we are trapped in temptation. We have not taught you what temptation really is. I promise you that if you really understand what temptation is, that you would then get a healthy, reverential fear of God to not want to even get near temptation. 
Because the devil exposed his hand in Genesis chapter 3. And he reveals to us this thing called temptation. And because the enemy has lied to us, we as a nation, as a people, we have been trapped in temptation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We're, We're trapped in it and we're not telling our kids how to live effectively in a fallen world with the power of God available to you. We're we're trapped in temptation. So we make decisions trapped. We go forward trapped. We try to move ahead, but we're trapped. We're trapped in temptation, and the enemy is having a field day. He says, unless they can understand temptation, I will always be able to uh, deceive them. I will always be able to destroy them. So here we have God revealing to us what it means to be trapped in temptation. I have to love the Lord. He is so compassionate and he loves us so much that right in chapter 4 of Genesis, he's already telling us, here's how you get out of what you just got into. He doesn't wait till chapter 10 to be like, okay, my goodness. He goes automatically right away. I'm going to get you out of what you got yourself into. You're trapped in temptation. Because the question you're saying is this, let go and let God I don't know about that. I don't know about that. And then the third thing, to master, to master temptation, to master sin, to be able to look and to hear injustice, to be able to hear the cries of a people, the cries of a people that, that are saying, I'm hurting the cries of a people that say, God, your righteousness needs to come back. We got to get to a place where it was lot that he was just so vexed with what he saw was taking place in a nation that he got to a place where we can cry and says, God, please, for the sake of your mercy and grace, don't you hear the cries of your people? And when you have the cry of God, your statement would not be, let go and let God, you will actually say, Let God be God. Let God be God. In other words, you would say, I'm going to let God and I'm going to let go. I'm going to let go. And so in this text, we see these things. And so so a little backstory, in case you've never read this particular story, that we see that the first thing we have mentioned in Genesis chapter 4 is the offsprings of Adam and Eve. Eve conceived and gave birth to Cain. And then we see how she says that with the help of the Lord, I was able to produce this child. In other words, that she's saying that this was God's mercy, that here it is now, that I was able to conceive, I was able to have this child. And so what Eve is telling us is this, is that she's saying that with incredible strength and with incredible uh, confidence, God is the one that is still blessing. That he still kept his word, says, you'll be fruitful and multiply. And even though I made a decision that has caused a tremendous heartache, here it is saying God is still helping And why is that? The reason for that is because he said this. He said, the seed of the woman shall crush the head of the serpent. Come on. 
He said, I made a promise. I made a word that I'm going to redeem you. And so therefore, I've got to get personally involved in bringing about the redemption of humanity. So Eve looks and says, God, thank you that you haven't given up on me. That you've given me a child. A child. And then verse 2 of chapter 4 of Genesis says, and again, she bore her brother, his brother Abel. And so here it is now that we see that Genesis chapter 4 comes in where we see the two offsprings of Adam and Eve. And now they're out of the picture. They're no longer in the picture. And so as parents, I want you to write this down. There's a difference between your child leaving and your child being launched. There's a big difference. That a child, when they leave, is only biblically, from reading the scriptures, your child leaves when they leave and go into another covenant. Come on. Call marriage. Up until that point, your responsibility is to ensure there's enough fuel of faith in them so they can be launched into their purpose and into their destiny. So you have the authority, regardless of the age, you have the authority until they come under another covenant. You have the authority to continue to implement and continue to infuse faith in your child. Don't be intimidated by their lifestyle. Don't be intimidated by their rebellion. You have the authority. I have the authority because what we see here is is Adam and Eve said, listen, listen, I know what we did, but I'm going to infuse in you as my offsprings that God is to be worshipped. That God is to be exalted. That God is the one you're supposed to worship. How do we see that? Because if we read into the text, we read now that here was their occupation that Cain and Abel, they actually had work to do. That Adam and Eve, they leave, but what stayed was the influence of what they told them. Hey, listen, here is how you approach God. That in your strength, whatever your occupation is, in that you are revealing your strength. Hear me now. That when you work the ground and when you tend the flock, you are now given of your strength and you are reminding the world that God didn't curse work. He cursed the ground. Because work is connected to your worship. And he said, no matter what condition you're in, worship is part of your DNA. Oh, come on. He's saying the skills and the abilities that you have are placed within you to reveal the strength of God. And he's given you those inherent capacities. Why? So that when you work, you bring glory to God. So in other words, the ground is covered. If you work it, I'm going to redeem it. And so he's saying your occupation, according to the Bible, is this. It is giving you the resources that you need to be able to bring fuel that you can put into your child's life so they can have the fuel now to be launched into their purpose and their destiny. It doesn't matter whether you didn't finish school. You have enough faith to tell them you can finish school. Come on. (laughs) That there's so much available to an individual who understands this. That my responsibility is to make sure that you are launched. Why? Because when you leave, and the reason why I know this is biblical, because it says in Genesis chapter 2, you shall leave your mother and father and you shall cleave to your husband and wife. So he's saying this, that we must be able to fuel the faith of a generation. Oh, my goodness. And what happened is that the faith of a generation is no longer trusting God because they're saying to us, what do you mean? You want me to let go and let God? 
The God I've never heard about. A generation rose up who didn't know God and didn't know his exploits. That's the God you want me to, to give control of my life? No. We've got to live a life so transparent that they see it's the power of God inside of us that is leading and directing us. So even in your occupation, you're exuberating strength. You're, you, are, you are understanding that, that the reason why I work is because I want to bring an offering. The reason why I have an occupation is to bring an offering. And so we see as we continue on that, that it says here that because they were able to labor, they're able to use their strength, their human strength, that they now had resources. And in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. Cain was a farmer. And Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock. And he was a herdsman. And so now we're seeing both individuals, brothers, Offsprings with occupation, bringing an offering. You see, the reason why I know you must always bring an offering is because the Bible says your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. That you're always bringing an offering. And if you think offering is just about money, you've missed everything about God. That's one of the first things that God says, listen, you are, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You bring your body as an offering. Corinthians says your body's not your own. Hello, everybody. Let's preach that. Your body's not your own. So don't have a low self-esteem. Come on. It works both ways. As you are designed by God, you are God's creation. You got to look yourself in the mirror and says, listen, you are created by God. Come on. I don't care what people say. I don't care what people think. I'm going to think and believe what God says about me. My body is an offering before the Lord. So when I labor, I now have to have boundaries because my body doesn't belong to me. Because I got to bring it as an offering before the Lord. That has set some people free right there. And so your occupation and your offering goes together. Your work and your worship goes together. Here it is right in the middle of our text. And why was this? Because the occasion was this. Is that God always wants to be worshipped. He will never change his mind because another generation raises up who didn't know him. He always wants to be worshipped. He will always look for worship. He is worthy of all the worship. And so when you and I dedicate our bodies as an offering to the Lord, and we use our human strength, whether that means to lift your hands, however you want to express it, What you were saying is that I don't want to miss this occasion to worship God. I don't want to miss this moment to give God glory. So I'm at work and what happens is I'll be at work. But because I'm a spirit who has a soul that lives in a body, there are times where I am laboring. I'm laboring. But then the Lord will say it's time now to worship. And so I'm going to worship. Why? Because I don't know in the heavenlies, I don't know in the invisible, that someone over here needs me to pray and make God legal in the earth. 
And so what I'm going to do is say, God, I am an offering to you. And so I'm praying. I don't know who needs this, God, but I'm going to lift you up. I'm going to worship you because when the praise goes up, your presence comes down. And so someone needs the praise. Someone needs for you to move in their life. Am I helping anybody? You see, God has given us occasions. God has given us moments, not just on Sundays, but God has given us a moment where every time we come before the Lord, watch this. It is a free will offering to God. It's a free will offering to God. No one has to bribe me. No one has to beg me. I'm just going to give God praise because when I think of the goodness of Jesus, when I think of what God has done and is doing in my life, I have to give him a free will offering. I have to have an attitude of gratitude. I got to thank God for his blessings. I got to count them one by one. And so... When you connect with a person who understands worship, what you're finding is that this person is saying that I'm going to be grateful for the blessing of strength while I still have it. And I'm going to be grateful to the one who gave me the blessing of strength. God, give me the strength to let God. But here we now approach This connecting point, and this is what we have now. We have in Genesis 4, verse 4 and 5, we have what we call worship fails. We have what we call worship fails. That, that, that Cain brings his offering and, and and Abel brings his offering. And God looks and it says, and the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. And that's what led us to the beginning of our teaching text. That worship fails, but Cain is not laughing. This is something that's not funny. That Cain now is saying, okay, God, what is the deal? How in the world can you accept one and not the other? How is it, God, that this person and all that they're doing and all of their lifestyle and they're being blessed and I'm over here faithfully serving you, faithfully doing what I need to do, and I'm not getting blessed? Maybe I'm the one that thinks that. But there are so many people who wonder, God, what's wrong with this offering? What is happening? And so some scholars think, well, God is simply free to favor or reject whoever he chooses. Others say simply that life isn't fair, and the sooner we learn that, we learn how to cope with it. Life is just not fair. That's how things are. But we've got to get biblical because here's the deal. People need an answer to their question. And people are wanting to know, God, are you for me or are you against me? I've got to get this figured out. See, this worship fail is no laughing matter. The people say, who do I worship? Who do I give my affection for? Listen, you're going to worship somebody. You are designed to worship. There is no passive, neutral, I don't worship anybody. You're either worshiping God or you're worshiping the devil. So what happens is we tend to look within us and we say, well, I'll worship myself then. Because I can't worship God. I don't want to worship the devil. What do we do? Worship us, the God. That's good. I'll say that again. I, I, I don't know how to worship God, and I definitely don't want to worship. Nobody wants to worship the devil. Well, at least I hope not. My God, I hope nobody wants to worship the devil. So if I, if I don't know how to worship God, and I don't want to worship the devil, I'll just worship me. 
I'll just worship me. And I'll figure things out. And I'll try to work things out. And so this is the mindset and the attitude of Cain. I'm going to figure this thing out on my own. But God didn't leave Cain to his own thoughts. Oh, come on. I've been teaching the teens on Wednesday. And I said, listen, fear comes in because of our private thoughts. Our private thoughts that we don't tell no one about. Now, come on. Those private thoughts that we have, even as a husband, as a wife, those private thoughts that we let nobody in except ourselves. God knows about it, but we don't let God in. And so here was Cain says, I got this now. I got this. I'm going to do this thing on my own. How's that working for you? Because you have to use your strength for something. And Cain is saying, I used my strength and I labored in the ground and I brought up the fruit of the ground and I brought it to you, God, and you rejected it. My strength, you rejected. So I'm going to keep the strength for myself and I'm going to figure this thing out all by myself. And what we have is the first sign of religion. Trying to figure out things on your own is the first sign where you worship yourself. Fulfill what the enemy told Adam and Eve. You will be like God, knowing good from evil. So God, you can't judge, but I'm going to judge between what's good and what's evil. And the Bible says, this is how that worked out. You called good evil and evil you called good. You have no capacity. You have no strength at all to be able to determine what is good and what is evil. But I'm going to try to figure it out on my own. And we're going to go and we're going to have our private thoughts. That's what scares me the most is your private thoughts. The thoughts that you have about God. What are those thoughts? And so the first point is this, is that here comes God now. And he says, I can't, I can't leave you to your own thoughts. And he comes and he says, Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? What do you mean, God? What do you mean why am I angry? I'm not sure if it was Danny or Lizzie who grew up on vegetarian. I think maybe both. Maybe Danny. I think it was both. And there's an episode of Larry Boy and the Angry Eyebrows. This is really the VeggieTale story about where Larry accidentally destroys the Knit Master 3000. And, and, and Ma, she grows very angry. The, the woman who, who invented this thing. And, and Larry, Larry destroys it, but Larry offers to have someone fix it. She tells him that there better not be a scratch on my Knit Master 3000. The next morning, uh, Mom Mushroom is still mad about Larry breaking her machine. So in other words, she had all day to process her anger. And she's still mad the next day about what Larry did. And it says, a flying angry eyebrow. <laughs> then swooped down and attached to her forehead. The place where God told the nation of Israel to write the law on the front lids of it attached because she spent all day angry about the injustice of what Larry Boy did. There better not be a scratch on it. And so the angry eyebrow came. And it also attached itself to Carrot Lady. 
causing both of them to act very nasty to their local citizens. And here is Cain, angry at God and angry eyebrows. And so the hero is teaching the heroes in the class, and he says this, be warned, young ones, if you hold on to your anger, your anger will hold on to you. We have an angry nation. We have an angry generation. And what has been the result is easily offended individuals about everything. You breathe, I'm offended. You step, I'm offended. And we have lost the ability to truly see the injustice that needs to take place because it does exist. And I'm here to tell you as your pastor, we will never, ever take the bait or drink the Kool-Aid. We will understand what God is saying in this text about what it is that we're supposed to use our strength for. Are there causes worth our strength? You better believe it. But every cause must have its faith in what God is doing. Because while there may be an ability or there may be some relief, if it doesn't affect eternity, then you have done it without God's help. And because you're made the image of God, you can accomplish great things because you can get to a place where you think you're God. And in our text, we see Cain look at Abel, but his issue was with God. And our issue is not with our brothers and sisters. Our issue is with God himself at the root of it. Our issue is with God. How can you let this happen, God? How can you let this happen, God? Because the moment you look to God for worship, he changes all of your perspective. He gives us the strength to be able to say, this is how you engage in every injustice. This is how you speak to the anger that's in society. There's a song I was listening to on the radio, and it's from Switchfoot. Don't know if they're... Still save or almost save or still save or they're not saved. I have no idea. But the lyrics were great. And here's the song. This is the chorus. It says, give me the strength to let go. Won't you give me the strength to surrender? Come on. Give me the strength to stop holding on. I've been holding on so long. Won't you give me the strength to let go and show me the way to come home? When we get to this place, when we understand this, you see, because in real life, here's the issue. Here's the reason why we're so angry. Here is the reason why our face is cast down. And some would interpret this and say, this is why we're depressed. This is why the angry eyebrows are on us. It's because of this. Are you ready for this? You see, because in real life, here is the thing. I don't have the strength that you're asking, God. I don't have the strength to come out of this thing. I gave you my best... Did you, Cain? I gave you the strength of the ground and I gave it to you. Did you, Cain? Did you really give me your best? And so God will confront us, not to condemn us, but to bring out the best in us. Oh, God. 
Woo, you got to write that down. And so God is coming after every one of us to say there is greatness inside of you. But I can't leave you to your own thoughts because if you do, you will think you're God and you have no room for me. And when I say let go and let God, you say, why? Why would I want to do that when I can use my own strength to figure things out? I don't have the strength. How come I don't have the strength? Because Satan was successful to convince us that whenever we put a question mark into our lives, what happens is this. Whenever we question, we actually cause our strength to evaporate. Let me break it down for you. This is so good. We are supposed to live by what? Faith. Faith is how we're supposed to live by And so our strength comes from our faith in God and God's word and God's promise. And so what happens when the enemy convinces us to say, well, God, can you do this? Can you do that? If we don't process it properly, if we don't deal and say, God, give me the strength to surrender to your will, what happens is our strength starts to evaporate. And all of a sudden now, we have nothing to go on. We have no divine strength. And so what do we do? We look within and we now use our human strength, right? And so we're holding on to something with our own human strength. We don't have the strength to do what God wants us to do. But we don't have it. And so what God asked Cain was this, Cain, before you respond in your private world, let me ask you a couple of questions. Cain, I want you to think about what just happened. Cain, I want you to explain to me what just happened. And Cain, I give you permission to express to me how you feel about what happened. So God is saying, listen, before your strength evaporates, he's saying, I want you to come, come to me and say, come on, come on, Cain, come on. He's saying, think about, think about your response. Explain to me why you respond this way. And express to me why you feel. God's given us an open invitation. Hear me, church. He's given an open invitation so that we can come to God and says, God, help me process this pain. Help me process your will for my life. I don't know about you, but when God reveals his will for you, it's not easy. I don't even say, oh, thank you, God. No, that's probably what you want to do. God's will for your life makes you have to pause for a second. Says, hold on a second. Um. I mean, I, I'll be honest with you. I'm a picky eater. So, so I'm nervous if God's going to send me on a mission trip. Come on. <laughs> I'm just being honest with you. God, you, you know, I, you, you, I didn't even like onions, God. Let it go to a nation where I don't know what they're eating. So I would pray to God, full transparency. I don't think I'm called to that nation. Nah, you can go and I'll pray for you. I'll even give you money to go. Because the reality, that can't be God's will for my life. Because he knows I don't like onions. And so what happens is, let go and let God? I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't have the strength, Lord, to trust you because you're leading me. And so God wants an honest church because he's building a healthy people. He says, be honest with me, man. You know where you are. Be honest with me. You know you, you know you're saved. You know you're not saved. You know you're struggling. You know what it is. 
I don't want you trapped in temptation. So he says, listen, before we get to that, Cain, I'm interrupting your thoughts before it becomes a stronghold. God. Woo, come on. I'm interrupting your process until it becomes a prison. Oh, come on. And so he said, if you process with me, I promise you, just like I did to your parents, I promise you, you'll find my grace. You'll find my strength. I don't have the strength. I don't have the strength. I don't have the strength. You see, he's saying, Cain, do you have a good reason to feel this way about me? And how you feel about God right now, is he interrupting your fun? It's amazing we give God the best of our lives when we're older because the younger we are, like, oh, I'm going to give it all to the world. I'm going to give it to me. And then we're all finished and dried up. Hey, God, here I am. I'm ready for you. I've lived my life. It didn't work out, you think? But you can have me now, and God is so gracious. Come on, come on, because I can renew your strength. He is so amazing. There's no one like Jesus. I'm trying to tell you, there is no one. I don't care what addiction, there's no one like Jesus. There's no one like Jesus. He knows our addictions. He knows our struggle. And yet he still loves us. And he still says, come on, let's talk about this. Come on. He says, I want the best for you. I don't want to condemn you, but I will challenge you. I will correct you. Why? Because I don't want your private thoughts to become your trapped. We see it in the text. He could have left Cain alone and says, do what you want to do. I'll bring judgment then. He says, Cain, no, I've got to be a God who judges. And so before I bring my judgment, Cain, let's talk about it. And he's saying to this nation, before the judgment of God comes to this nation, he's saying, church, will you use your strength and cry out to me and says, God, please have mercy on this nation. We're angry, but we don't know why we're angry. We're mad. And God is saying, it all comes back to me. What do you think about me? You see, I love the scripture says, let the weak say I'm strong. What? No, no. The issue is this. I'm not weak. I'm actually quite strong. I'm strong-willed. Come on. We know we are. God's been trying to get us to where he wants us to get, and we're fighting God. We are fighting God, and we think we're weak. Satan tried to fight God, and look what happened. We're fighting God, and God is gracious to us. Oh, let that sink in. So in other words, you are more important than any angel. Come on. Good God Almighty. You've got to know your strength. And he's saying if the demons, come on, can't battle me, because I'll whip them on them. But here you are with your free will and choice. And God is saying, you're fighting me. Because you are strong. To get you to become weak, that's the goal. So when you're reading the Bible that the weak say I'm strong, you're like, it doesn't apply to me because I am strong. I have a strong. I've been holding on to this thing for so long. And God is saying, listen, Cain, don't do that. Why are you battling me? Why are you angry? You see, I quote, blaming the Lord might have been the easiest response for Cain. But finding the lesson might have been the better route. And so here he's saying, why are you mad at me? Find the lesson in what I'm trying to teach you. What's the lesson? Well, here is the issue. This is what's going on. This is worth everything that you did to come here. Here's the issue. You're not weak. You're actually strong. And that's the problem. 
Because on one hand, you're powerful. On the other hand, you're powerless. On one hand, you know you have the power to keep that memory of that pain and that abuse. You know you do. And that's what leads into different mental health issues. Whether caused by you, by your choices, or by the choice of other people, the injustice by other people creates a memory that becomes a muscle that now becomes strong and you can't release it. You're powerful. Because the enemy brings a lie, and when that lie takes root, it gets a hold of you. But yet, you are powerless for it to change. And what we find ourselves is this. We are hopeless, and we are helpless. When we first got married, we, we went out, we were going for a walk, and, and uh, we went and we got some food. And we were walking back as two lovebirds, you know, we were like, hey, baby. And we was walking back like this. And all of a sudden, it starts to rain. And, um, you know, it's raining. And I'm like, babe, we got to run. Like, this stroll's over. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I can't run ahead of her. I, I got I to hold her hand, right? And so, we, I mean, we're digging it. I'm, I'm Usain Bolt. I'm digging it, man. And all of a sudden, I'm like, why are we not going as fast as we can? Well, Megan's hold on to the bag of food that we have. And she's trying to run this way. I'm holding and she's going, I'm like, babe, you got to let it go. And the rain is coming. She says, babe, you have to let it go. He's like, I can't let it go. I paid for this thing. I didn't ask for the rain. We were doing our own business. And the rain interrupted and caused us to run. So I'm holding on to what I originally purchased with my strength. And I don't care what the conditions are like. I'm going to hold on to this because I'm powerful to hold on because I bought this. And so momentum was in We were running, but not at full capacity. We were having movement, but not at full capacity. Because we're holding on to something with our strength. And so what happens is this. We are holding on to offense, and it's in our grip. And our issue is with God. Why? Did you send the rain, God? You know we were out for a walk. What's the lesson in this? Drop my food? Get wet? I'm beside my man? What's the lesson in this, Lord? And God says, I invite you, Magon. I invite you to come and talk to me about the lesson in this. Because a lesson will always be about God's character and his love For you and I. And we're holding on. Because we are strong. So when we read that scripture. Let the weak say I'm strong. We're like no it doesn't apply to me. In real life it doesn't apply. Come on. If we're going to be honest. It doesn't apply to us. Because if we really get weak. That meant we surrender to God. And we haven't really surrendered to God. The second thing is this. And this is the real issue. This This is the Adamic nature. This is the second thing. I do not have the strength. To let God. I didn't say I don't have the strength to let go. I don't have the strength to let God. And when we see this, we see the root of the issue. The root of the issue is in Genesis chapter 3. It's the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes. And from those three things that are deeply rooted comes the fruit of being powerless. 
And the fruit of being powerless, I just have seven. You might have more, but I have seven. Number one, guilt. Number two, shame. Number three, regret. Number four, anxiety. Number five, rejection. Number six, we become judgmental. And number seven, we're bitter. And so we are powerful on one hand, we're holding on. And we are powerless on the other hand. And so right here, we're seeing the root and we're seeing the fruit of it. And God is saying, you need divine strength. So let it go. Let it go and depend upon my strength. See, your life choices should be a direct result of you letting go and letting God know. Oh, don't miss it. He's saying, when I say let it go, I'm not saying let it go and don't don't admit that it hurt. What God is saying, you don't just let it go and then you don't let God know. No, they didn't even have a field day with you. You have to let it go and then you got to let God know. That's called prayer. And that's where we're in. We're telling people, let go of the past. Let go of this. Let go of that. They're like, but if I let go, then what's supposed to go on? He says, but let God know. Let God know you have no strength. Let God know you're not in control of your life. Cain, let it go. Why is that so important? Here are the three things if you want to give, if, if you want divine strength. If you want divine strength and you want to be able to say, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to actually let God have his way in my life. Here's the three things. As we conclude, here are the three things. This is the game changer. This is the lesson. This is what God wants us to know. Here it is right here. First thing is this, and I've been hitting on this real hard. He says, let it go and let God know how you feel about him. How do you feel about God? Come on, if you're not serving him, why? How come you're not serving God? You don't believe in him? He lied to you. He hurt you. How come you're not serving God? How come you're not serving God to your full capacity? What's holding you back? What's the fear? Does someone criticize you? Does someone reject you? Does someone tell you we're good for it? Why are you not serving God if you're not serving God? And if you are serving God, are you serving God to the best of your ability? Are you giving God everything? Is God your priority? Come on, let it go and let God know how you feel about him. I don't, I don't like your will, God. I think you made a mistake. Be honest with him. God, I don't really want to serve you right now because I'm having too much fun. Okay. Let God know. He's a big boy. He can handle it. Here's the most dangerous part. He sends Jonah to a nation. He says, Jonah, I want you to go to this nation. That's my will for you. What did Jonah do? Oh, I'm, I'm powerful. I'm going to go on another boat. I'm going to go the opposite direction. C- come on, church. Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. Nope. Let an angel tell God that and what, and let's see what happens. <laughs> but you and I can tell God, I'm not going. And you can't make me, nah, 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 nah. I'm actually going to take my resource. I'm going to pay my fare. And I'm actually going to go the opposite direction. And what happens is Jonah's running from God. And what happens is a wind and all this stuff happens, right? And he goes because Jonah's saying, God, I don't like your will for my life. I'm not in agreement with it. 
And so Jonah goes, and guess what happens? Because Jonah knows if I preach the gospel, they're going to repent. And I don't like the Ninevites. I don't like them. There was the honest truth. I don't like them. So I'm a prophet, but I really, God, you don't know my heart. Come on. He's a prophet of God, and he actually, God says, go to Nineveh, preach the gospel. And Jonah says, no, I don't like them. You can love them, God. Go yourself. But I'm not going. And he gets to a place of where he goes, he preaches, and the place repents. And now we find in Jonah chapter 4, Jonah was mad. I told you, God. I knew it. I told you. I knew if I preached the gospel, they're going to repent. Let's start preaching the gospel so people can repent. Let's preach the whole gospel. Come on. Not the watered-down, sugar-coated gospel. Let's preach the whole gospel so people can actually say, thank you for finally giving me the truth. Here, I am hopeless. I'm helpless. And you're not telling me the truth, the whole truth. Thank you. And Nineveh, the nation repents. But Jonah's mad. He's mad. And he now goes and says, God, isn't this what I said in Jonah uh, chapter 4? When I was in my country, that's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I know that you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abound in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. God, I knew you were going to do this and I hate the people. God, what about me? What about me, God? And the Lord said to him, "Um, you do well to be angry. The Lord actually said to him, you do well to be angry. And here's the point now. And so Jonah's, okay, okay. And so now Jonah, the sun's out. And so God makes this tree that grows. And it's causing the shade, right, for Jonah. And he's under the shade. And he feels great. And the Bible says this. I love this. But God said to Jonah, uh, uh, Jonah 4, uh, verse 9. He says, but God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? He says, yeah. He said, do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. In other words, God caused a worm to come and the plant was no longer giving him shade. And so now the sun's on him. And so here's what God says. Here's a lesson, Jonah. He says, you have more pity for the plant, which you did not labor. You didn't use your strength. You didn't make it grow, which came to be an overnight and it perished. And should not I have pity on Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 people who did not know their right hand from their left? God is a merciful God. And God has said, if my prophets would open up their mouths and if they will go and preach the gospel, people will come. Children will be saved and they will come to know me. Come on, let go and let God tell God how you feel. We need prophets who are going to do the work of God. Number two, I got number two. Second, let go of the lies of the enemy and let God be true. Let go of the lies of the enemy and let God be true. Romans 3 verse 4 says this, by no means let God be true. Though everyone were a liar. As it is written that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. So God, I'm going to give you my strength. I'm going to let you be God. First thing I'm going to do is this. I'm going to, I'm going to let it go and I'm going to let you know how I feel about him. I feel about you. Second, I'm going to let go of the lies of the enemy and let God be true. And number three. Here's the big one. So I'm going to say the big one. This is it. This is it right here. Third, 
I'm going to let go. And I'm going to let you, God, be free to judge. I'm going to let go. And I'm going to let God be free to judge. Psalms 51 verse 4. What Cain shall learn from this encounter was this. That if God made a judgment upon my offering. That what Cain should have did in Psalms 51 verse 4 is this. Against you and only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Let go and let God be free to judge. What a powerful message. What a powerful message to an angry nation. And God is saying, before you act, take the lesson of Cain. And understand this, that I am blameless in my judgment. So let go and let God be free to judge. Can you imagine with me for just a moment? If we ever got to a place where we says, God, is there any area in my life that doesn't please you? Is there any decisions that I'm making that doesn't please you? Let go. Pastor, I can't. You don't understand. Let go. I've been holding on for so long. Let go. And let God be free to judge. Before someone thinks, what do you mean? We can't speak to injustice. Of course you do. You have to speak to ungodliness. You have to speak righteousness. You have to declare the truth of God. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying preach the gospel and let God do the work that the gospel can do in the lives of people. Yes, get involved. Yes, find a cause. But if that cause is draining you of divine strength, it's not God. It's the enemy. And so we have to let go and let God be free to judge. Because this is the thing. God is the ultimate judge. And he will judge every action, every ungodliness. But he will also judge every righteous act as well. You are my strength. You are my strength. If you're here this morning, you need to let it go. You need to let it go and and let God know how you feel about him. If you're here this morning, you have to let it go. It's the lie of the enemy. Let it go and let God be true. And number three, let it go and let God be free to judge. With every head bowed, every eyes closed. All week, the Lord's been telling me, row and let it go. If you don't let it go, you will be conditioned 
to seek the applause of people as opposed to the approval of me. Let it go because you'll take what was meant to be a pass and you'll make it a prison. Let it go. Let it go. But you don't know what they did, but God knows what they did. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. We prayed over your children. They did something that was that was the biggest betrayal. It was hurtful. Let it go. Because God will judge the action. You know how difficult it is to preach in this climate? Nobody who's called into the ministry can ever accomplish God's will for their life in their own strength. Stop it. We've had enough of it. You can't do this without the divine strength that comes from God. You're causing more damage than you are good. Let it go. And let God be free to judge. Then your light will shine, the Bible says. Then you will expose the darkness. Come on. And then God will be glorified. And the same way how he saved Nineveh, God saved these United States of America. And I pray that the prophets, the pastors, the parents, everybody will come and say, God, you are my strength. Strength like no other. We bless you, Jesus. We bless you, Jesus. Come on. Some of you need strength. You need to let it go and you need strength. Don't worry about who's around. Don't worry about what they're going to think. If that's you and you need strength, he says, Pastor Roe, i got to let it go. If that's you, I want you now to trust the Father and to lift up those hands and to acknowledge, says, God, I need your strength. I can't let this one go, God. I can't let it go. This is deep. This one cut me real deep, God. This one was a major rejection. This is major guilt. This is major shame. This is major bitterness. I'm here to tell you if that's you, I want you right now to let it go. Let it go. Let it go.